0: Hello everyone. I'm Chris Proctor, Director of Fixed Income at Alps Funds. Welcome to Avoiding the Crowds, our Muni Bond podcast series with Greg Steyer, Head of Municipal Fixed Income at Brown Brothers Harriman and Portfolio Manager for the Alps Intermediate Muni Bond ETF, ticker MNBD. So good afternoon, Greg. In previous podcasts, we spoke about the current state of the municipal market, but today we're here to talk about general obligation bonds. So perhaps a good place to start, Greg, is by walking us through how you think about them. Sure thing, Chris, and it's it's great to be back. In the muni market, there are two major
1: categories of bonds, general obligation bonds and revenue bonds. And as you mentioned, we're here to talk about general obligations or GOs, as we often refer to them. When most people think about munis, they think about GOs, which can be issued by a state or a local government, such as a city, a county, Or school district. The government issuing the bonds basically pledges its full faith and credit to the payment of the bonds. And this is a fancy way of saying that the government will use all of its powers to make sure that the debt gets paid back on time and in full. Taxes are no fun when you're paying them, but they sure make for strong credits. So in many ways, GEOs
0: form the foundation of the muni market, and and we look forward to your, your questions okay so from your description it sounds like general obligation bonds should be stronger than the revenue bonds i mean what could be better than full faith and credit is that is that a correct statement well
1: i think your your intuition is not far off geo bonds typically have lower default rates than revenue bonds but i wouldn't necessarily say geo bonds are inherently stronger I can think of several examples of revenue bonds that we own, which could go toe-to-toe with, with almost any GEO. There are a lot of good bonds out there, but, but our job is to find the best values for our clients.
0: Okay, got it. But allow me to be cynical here for a minute. Um, if, if the default rates are so low for GEOs, why can't investors just throw darts at a board and pick any GEO bond that they may come across? Job number one for us is keeping
1: our portfolio safe. And the last thing we would want in our muni portfolios or any other portfolios that we manage is a credit problem. And that's why we emphasize owning high quality, durable credits. And we make sure we do our homework on everything we own.
0: Okay, so when you're doing your homework, what are some of the red flags that you would typically look out for when you're assessing a bond? We typically see concerns in in three areas. The first
1: is the durability of the credit. We want to make sure that, in general, our credits can withstand a wide variety of economic and political circumstances, and this would involve evaluating the underlying economy and its drivers of, of the particular area in which we're investing. Red flags can include too much concentration in any one industry, weak socioeconomic factors, negative population trends. The second and usually more common issue is with management. Governments are run by politicians, they're run by elected officials, and some of those officials are not as talented as, as, as the folks you would find in, in the corporate space. A red flag here would be a management team that needs to cut expenses or raise taxes, but, but lacks the willingness to do so. Raising taxes on the people who elected you isn't always easy, but often it's necessary. In a similar vein, it could also be difficult to cut services during tough economic times when people need them the most. Lastly, we need to ensure transparency. Reporting standards in munis, is a lot, they're a lot looser than what we typically find with, with corporate bonds. And I couldn't imagine having to meet with a client and telling them that we had a credit problem in their portfolio, but we didn't really know what was going on because we didn't have current financial statements.
0: Oh, that's that's really interesting, Greg. Um, let's let's pivot to some of the um, of what's out there in the press. Um, one issue that we hear a lot about is the death of the downtown because of these work from home trends. Isn't that something you should you should worry about? I think I worry more about traffic commuting to the office these days than, uh, than the
1: <laughs> credits of of the cities, local government credits. Benefit from durable revenue sources of which property taxes are typically the largest and also arguably the most stable. These taxes are based on assessed real estate values within a district. A typical local government derives over 60% of its property taxes from residential real estate. This helps cities stay insulated from declining commercial property values. There's a big difference between owning bonds directly backed by office buildings and those backed by the full taxing authority of a city.
0: Yes, but as the value of a city's real estate declines, wouldn't that have an impact on those tax collections? In a vacuum, it would. But
1: it's but it's really more nuanced than that. Typically, there's a significant lag between changes in property values and and the assessed values which are the foundation for those taxes. Record home prices should serve as a tailwind for local government revenues for years to come. When you look back at the period around the global financial crisis, real estate values peaked in 2006, but peak property tax collections didn't peak until four years later in 2010. And this lag also holds true in downturns, as as large declines in real estate values don't lead to a commensurate decline in property taxes. So following the the financial crisis, real estate values declined 25% from peak to trough but property taxes only fell less than 10%. Local officials frequently mitigate the impact of declining real estate values by raising tax rates.
0: Okay, so the other thing that we hear is is how you pick bonds that go in a portfolio, given that there's tens of thousands you know, of issuers out there in the muni space. And the analysis that you just described... Sounds pretty complicated. Um, So how does does your analytical team manage to stay on top of all this? Well, our analyst team would like to joke that I don't let them leave their desks.
1: Sometimes I've been accused of having a butts in seats policy. But the truth is, is that we're very selective. There are far more credits in the index than there are good values. We wanna own a limited number of durable credits that provide attractive yields. And our portfolios would typically hold ninety to one hundred and twenty-five different credits. And those names need to meet both our credit criteria and be attractively priced. We also like to build meaningful positions. And we're sensitive that muni bonds are not as liquid as corporates. I think those guys have it much easier.
0: We have seen uh for sure that security and sector selection are the you know alpha drivers in your portfolio in an MMBD. So okay back to uh you know geo sectors. Um, I've noticed that the e t f has a pretty large underweight to general obligation bonds versus an index versus the index. so is that because g o bonds are just less attractive
1: in general? Yes, but I think we also have to note that general obligation bonds are only about a quarter to a third of the muni market with the balance being revenue bonds. There are many fine g o credits, but far fewer have attractive valuations. We typically find more opportunities in the revenue sectors, which I understand will be the subject of the next podcast. It, it might surprise our investors to learn that the ETF holds no state GOs at the current time, and those bonds tend to be very popular with household investors who bid up their prices. Our exposure to GOs is almost entirely through zero-coupon bonds issued by local school districts. Because retail investors favor current income, they generally shy away from these securities, and as a result, we can get a higher yield than we should relative to the bond's fundamental risks.
0: That sounds like a good deal for your clients.
1: Yeah, and I didn't even tell you the best part. We've, we've long believed that school district bonds are superior to most other types of local government securities. In addition to providing an essential service, School bonds often carry two pledges. The first pledge is the GO of the school district, and the second pledge is often provided by its
0: state. How does that work?
1: There are are several types of major enhancement mechanisms. For example, in Texas, qualifying bonds are backed by an asset pool known as the permanent fund. In Michigan, Washington, Oregon, school bonds are guaranteed by the state. Other states use what's known as uh, what we call an intercept program, where state aid for the schools can be redirected to bondholders if there's a shortfall for debt service. Some of those states include Indiana, Pennsylvania, and Colorado. What does that mean for the portfolio, MNBD? So the added protection of of these enhancements or, or secondary pledges, it provides a really strong safety net below an already strong credit. It allows us to participate in less liquid structures like zeros and and be comfortable with the extra yield that we're getting. We're active buyers of zeros and low coupon, putable school bonds, et cetera. Uh, The last position we would ever want to find ourselves in is holding a deteriorating credit in a a niche structure. Because for us and for our clients, that would result in a lousy ownership experience, Investing in school bonds that are backed by these types of enhancements effectively mitigates that risk.
0: It does sound like the bonds that have these dual pledges sound like a no-brainer. Um, but are they hard to source? Can you find them? Or you know, is it something you can repeatedly take advantage of? Oh, oh, it is. We've invested in these types of school
1: bonds for years across many states. Uh, state enhancement programs are, are a backbone to many of our our, our credits especially in in local geos, and they don't tax our analyst collective capacity. School bonds give us a lot of scale in our credit work.
0: Thanks, Greg. I'm happy to hear you're able to source these great values for the clients, and I think that was a lot of great information you provided. Thanks, Chris. It was
1: great speaking with you today.